30 years ago, Joanna, Doug, and I met at the University of Virginia's Darden Business School. Now, after years of experiences, we are visiting with our classmates to ask, if you could have a beer with your younger self right after graduating with your MBA, what were the key decision points in your career path? What advice would you provide? And what are the stories behind the lessons? Mark is a New York City native where he has lived and worked his entire life except for his Darden years. His vast career includes entrepreneurship, sales, marketing, and strategy. With dual undergrad degrees in accounting and computer systems, Mark's career has walked the line that exists between business and emerging technology. Mark is also a professor today at the University of Illinois, where he teaches high-tech venture marketing. In today's episode, Mark shares many life lessons, including his experience of selling t-shirts on the weekend to pay for his college education. Mark's wisdom and dry sense of humor are a wonderful lesson. Please join me in welcoming Mark Bavona. Mark and I have a bond because whether he liked it or not, he was Bavona, B-I-V-O-N-A, and I was Bressel, B-R-E-S-S-E-L, and he was stuck sitting next to me. Um, And I, I honestly feel blessed because not just because he brought pop tarts and snacks and just to shut me up would feed them to me um but he also just um really was kept me calm and uh kept it real so what i appreciate and value about mark is that he does what you see is what you get and that is as quintessential or stereotypical as you can get with a with a native New Yorker, right? So um, that's my my just singing my praises to you. So here comes like my our question is like, so imagine your your younger self and and looking back, um, I guess what would you what would you want your younger self to know? Yeah. What would you what would you what would you tell them? Gee, uh, I think you know I could give you the lessons in business that I've learned, but just overarching, I think you know, uh, never never let a bad day, never ruin a good day uh, by thinking about a bad day or a bad mm. yesterday. And I think that's really important because you got to always. I, I try to always be positive, and I think you've got to look forward. Shit happens. You can't control anything. And once you realize that, just look forward. So I think never ruin a, never ruin a good day by thinking about a bad yesterday is a good one for me. Mm-hmm, uh, for sure. And I think, uh, you know, I mean, you, uh, if you agree or disagree, let me know. I'm sure we could discuss it in the Darden fashion of a case study. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I think uh, just try to live a life that's empowering to you. Think of a life uh, that you want to lead and, you know, ignore the negativity. Sometimes you can, you know, you can always ask for input, ask for comments, but you could, uh, you got to uh, ignore the negative uh, and just live a meaningful life for you. Those are two things. I mean, I could have plenty of more, plenty more, but. I've got a question for you, Mark, as it relates to that negativity. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of wisdom in, in, you know, 
being in today and not worrying about yesterday. But, um, you know, when it comes to negative feedback, how do you, how do you ferret out or tease out the, the, you know, the useful criticism or useful feedback that might not be positive from negative noise? If that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think what you're asking about is, uh, constructive criticism, right? So when you get the constructive criticism, you really have to uh, be willing to change, willing to listen, uh, and willing to reflect on it. So that's really an important nuance. And it's unfortunate because if you're talking to your younger self, it's something you don't acquire. Uh, it, it comes with years. It doesn't come. It doesn't come <laughs> with me talking to you on a podcast, right? So it's, it certainly comes with years. So. I think that would add another thing is that at the end of the day, um, you know, you are you are in charge of, of your own happiness, right? So it's on you. So once if you accept that, uh, I think it's easier to adjust the criticism, uh, understand it, uh, process it, and respond because um, you know it's it's uh, not the it's not the negative, uh, it's not the the problems will occur in life. Uh, and I really, I really believe this, and you see this over time. It's not the problems; it's how you respond to them that's important. Mm, that's so, good. Yeah. How did you come to that, you know, perspective as it relates to trying to block out the negativity or blocking out the, you know, the the bad yesterday or l- bad last quarter or something like that? Are there anything, any milestones in your life that you can look back on that that helped shape that that life philosophy? Yeah, I think, you know, early on, so this is before school, uh, when I, be, two weeks before I graduated my undergrad, in undergrad, my, my dad passed away, mm. right? So it was two weeks mm. before grad school, two weeks before undergrad graduation. So I, you know, I, a lot, my, my personally, my background is, you know, a lot of people um, have a lot of support. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, come from, you know, they, you talk about being the first in your family to graduate from college. You know, I was the first in my family to graduate from high school. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty, so, uh, I think once you have things like that happen to you and you have the responsibility of a family really early on, so I was 21 when I graduated undergrad, two weeks before my dad passed away, I end up, you know, having to go to work. Uh, so you realize how little control you have, right? Mm. Uh, so you just, you have a choice. You have a choice to, you know, get mired in the misery where you focus going forward and I focus going forward. So, uh, you know, I actually went to undergrad with my sister. Uh, so we're both in school. My sister was two years behind me. So she still needed to complete undergrad, uh, which was a pain in the ass because someone had to pay for that or help navigate that financial system. Right. Uh, but you know, we did it. My, my sister ended up going, so I went to Darden, uh, I actually went to Darden after my sister went back to graduate school. So when she went to graduate school, she said, hey, it's your turn, why don't you go? I, I can take care of things now. So she ended up, so I went to, I went to undergrad and I met my wife there. Uh, and my sister went to the same undergrad that I went to and met her husband, my brother-in-law. Oh, that's a great, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, so we all went off. Uh, so my, uh, my sister went to HBS with her husband, so they both went to HBS. Uh, and I had gone to a couple of classes. I really liked the case study stuff. 
Mm. So that's why I picked Darden. That was when the two case study only schools were HBS and Darden. Right, right. Yeah. Still, yeah. I, I, yeah, that was a big deciding factor for me as well. I loved, I loved the case method after I saw it. So. Hey, so Stern has a great reputation, Mark. Obviously, um, did did you feel, uh, you know, once you got into the first year at Darden, did you feel pretty prepared for for Darden having that undergraduate business, you know, experience? Um, yeah, I, I not in in some regard, right? In some regard, like accounting for a lot yes. of people, accounting sucks, right? I'm, I attest. Right. You helped me. <laughs> but fortunately or unfortunately, I was an accounting major. I was also a computer major undergrad. So, you know, it was kind of accounting light for me. I really, that was not a hard lift. <laughs> so, yeah, in that regard, I was, but the other stuff, like I even, you know, so uh, I, I, teach, I teach now, I do some classes and we start talking about organizational behavior stuff. And I say, I know you're sitting there and you're thinking this is all bullshit. But let me tell you, hindsight, that is the most important stuff you're going to talk about. I'm sure, Doug, you can attest to this. Everybody here can attest to this. It's really important. It's oh, my goodness. Good. Yeah, the two classes that we discounted the most, communications and OB, are the two most right. important things at the top <laughs> of the pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> or it's strategy, leadership, and change, right? <laughs> you're yeah. right. She's, there's Joanna's doing your victory lap. Yeah, yeah. She's, I'm not she's, saying she's... a thing. I'm not saying a thing. But, you know, that's fascinating because uh, Mark um, – you're such a straight shooter that I think you're instinctually just, I've always thought just so spot on in terms of human nature, the situation. Um, I find it fascinating that that was something that maybe, I don't know if you said you, did, you dismissed it, but I mean, I, from just me knowing you, I feel it like you, how, how, that seems natural to you because you're so transparent, you know, and so aware of what's happening in a room. Um, how have you navigated that and used that, what I perceive as a gift in, in what you've been doing now, and wait, professionally? Nav navigate what? No, Just using, being, using, I feel you have natural organizational behavior skills by being a being naturally street street smart scrappy authentic and just a kind human being and i'm not saying that's those are the things but i do feel like being kind of street smarts makes you aware of human nature and and aware of how people are approaching you and yeah. um so i don't think that's for everybody right i think my uh the way you uh, the way I impact you is not the same way. I, I don't have the same impression on everybody. Okay, so you know I'm gonna. Oh come on! Yeah, because you know a lot of people. Tell think us, tell, gonna, tell us what impression do you think you make on people? I think sometimes I could be too blunt, right? Uh, and I think that might be a problem. I have to tone it down a little bit. Um, I appreciate honesty. Uh, but some people really don't, <laughs> you know, some people don't. Uh, so you, you know, you've got to be, uh, you know what? I don't, I don't enjoy politics. So I don't enjoy the politics that come along with, with that sort of what's perceived as maybe dishonest or less transparent. Uh, so that's really what you see, but 
you know, in some regards, I think uh, being direct and trying to connect at that level is important because um, I think this took me a long time to get to. At the end of the day, we're all salespeople, all right? We've got to sell ourselves uh, and we've got to sell shit. And you know, the people who make the most money are the people who sell shit, right? They drive the revenue. I always thought, I always thought in my head, you know, this is kind of as a kid, undergrad. Now, keep in mind, I was incredibly entrepreneurial. I paid for college by selling shit. And I, I'll talk to you about that if you, if you want to know. Uh, but uh, the yes. reality is I always thought that it was kind of sleazy, right? It was like used car salesmen. But I think that if you can connect with people on a certain level, you have confidence. They have confidence in you. It's a con game yeah, in the best sense of the word. Uh, they trust you and they'll buy stuff from you. Uh, and that's really important. And I kind of learned that early because back undergrad, uh, you know, in order to pay for college, I had to sell shit. So I ended talk up. Us, talk to us about that because yeah, that, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. As long as it's so, legal, you know, you don't want to have be extradited because of this <laughs> podcast. So I wasn't selling drugs. What I was selling was, uh, so uh, growing up I, so I ended up, I became a lifeguard. So I, I became a lifeguard and I was uh, on the beaches and, you know, that was a great, great thing to do in high school. But in college, I needed more money. So I ended up going to flea markets and selling stuff, and I I'd sell T-shirts, uh, and I would sell different summer T-shirts like muscle tees and cutoff tees and all this other stuff. And I realized that the flea market was so big that I can have two spots or three spots or four spots. So eventually, I had four spots, and I didn't even have to go to them. And each spot was generating on a weekend maybe about one thousand to two thousand dollars profit each. A day. Wow. Yes. Wow. So oh. you think you have four spots. Let's be optimistic. It's 2000 each. So I'm pulling in $8,000 a weekend. All right. That's on the best case. So I was like hiring people, even if they walked off with some of the cash, it didn't matter to me. I hired friends and they would, they would schlep the stuff and they would sell it. And I go to the beach and <laughs> just by my nature, I would take some T-shirts with me, and I'd walk the beach for an hour or two, and I'd pick up two, four hundred, two to four hundred dollars in my pocket, right? So I hustled to do this stuff. Uh, and I hated it because I felt like it was felt sleazy to me. Like I, nobody I knew had to do it, but I did it. So you know that's how I paid for college, and I was oh stuff. wow, yeah. That and also what I were the T-shirts? What did the T-shirts say that generated that kind of sales? That's what I'm nothing. curious about. They said nothing. They were just bright colored muscles, you know, with the arms cut off or belly shirts where you can see your belly. And at that point, I didn't have a belly. I do now. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, my my wife will tell you I look like a schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> More, it's, I, it's referred to today as dad bodies. They're dad yeah. bots. That's oh, what we have. We yeah. have dad bots. Okay. Well, <laughs> we got something going on there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's an incredible story. But get you know back to the you know the, uh, the importance of selling. I 100% agree with you, Mark. And I'm embarrassed to say how long in life it took me to realize that that we're all salespeople, it, it, whether it's in re relation, our personal relationships, or, you know, even if, if you, if you're in accounting, you know, or, or some engineering, you know, some non-sales function in a business, HR, we're all selling ideas. We're selling projects. We're selling, you know, um, ourselves. And, um, and 
I wish I had known at at 20 how much good salespeople made financially because I would have considered like earlier in my career, even if I didn't stick with it, I would have chosen a true sales job where you're earning your living based largely on commissions um, for some period of time, whether it's two, three, five, 10 years, because I think the lessons you learn are invaluable. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, the, the, the organizational behavior and the other thing is communications. You had mentioned, uh, Doug, you saying uh, is that working on that presentation layer, which you really get through sales. That presentation layer is so important. Uh, and you've got to practice it, and particularly nowadays on a computer, right? I actually, I practice and I suck, but I practice talking into a screen. You know, how do you make eye contact? How do you present? How do you get rid of the ums, the ahs? You've got to really rehearse that. Now, the best salespeople I saw in my career were the people at the front of the room that spoke eloquently and really know how to own the room, manage the room, and look for certain triggers that got people to agree and ultimately buy. And I was in such awe of that. The one person at Darden that I was in awe of presentation layer or speaking ability was John Bartro. John Bartro, and I don't know if you know, he can get up in front of a room and talk about anything to anyone. And we were just kids in school. And I was like, holy shit, how do you do that? And I was just so impressed by that. And that was like kind of a, I, I've never told him this, but that was a pivot point for me where I was like, I got to really work on this because this guy's really awesome. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wasn't he a little bit, a little bit older than us as well? Or had, maybe he had come out of sales or something. Anyway. Uh, no, he was a uh, he was on like a, a sub. I think he was he was military. Another yeah. navy navy guy. Yeah, na uh, navy guy. Right, right. Uh, I learned uh, a lot of, a lot from the navy people and the military people. My really, they they were awesome because they, as a cohort, they they knew how to they knew how to follow, they knew how to take directions, and they knew how to lead when appropriate. As a, and I just thought. You know, they were incredible, incredible people. They were the people that respected you throughout the process uh, and just knew how to give feedback and take criticism. And I just learned a lot from, the, from those. Not having been a military person, I was in awe. I really liked it. We just yeah. had this conversation last week. Tom and I were in Cape Cod with some of our other, uh, you know, classmates, and I forget who it was that brought it up. But um, I guess at the time we were going to Darden in the early '90s, um, it was post Cold War, and the military was downsizing in in many in many areas, and so we had this whole wave of young men and women coming out of the military that was a larger percentage than normal in our class. I don't know how many military ex-military folks we had in our class, but I think it was, it was, it was higher than normal. And, and they brought a lot of life experiences to the classroom for sure. They did. They did. They, you know, you know, leader, I think you look from a leadership perspective, you know, they really, leadership's a choice, right? So you, you, they really chose to care for the people around them, uh, and those are what, that's why people followed them. From my perspective, that's that's what I've seen. You could see that you know you got you got people that work for heads of companies uh, and they have the authority to lead the people, but and you do what they say, but you don't necessarily they're not leaders. You don't 
follow them. You won't follow them. But the military people, they were just leadership was ingrained in them because you got that sense of caring from them uh, and they cared for the people around them. They, you knew they had your back when it was really important and that's why you followed them. Yeah, we had some we had some great classmates for sure from the military, including our friends from the uh, from Sweden and Norway, um, or certainly Norway. That was uh, those were some good folks, Morton and Thomas and others. Um, how did you end up at, uh, at at at? Well, you mentioned the case study, which is obviously one of the ways you ended up at Darden. But um, you know, having grown up in New York City, were were you looking? You know, were you looking at UVA for you know to get to get a new experience? I had never applied to UVA uh, ever. Uh, and uh, I actually, so I was in the five-year program at NYU. So I would get my MBA postgraduate. You know, I would go four years and go an extra year and i get my MBA. My dad died, right? So that those plans got squashed. But then when it came looking at grad schools, I applied to UVA for just that, it, when I went down and I stood on that campus, I, I was married at the time, so I stood at that campus, I still am married, by the way, but uh, I was married at the time. <laughs> That's yeah. an achievement, congrats. Yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. Cut, we'll cut that for you, Mark. <laughs> so uh, but when we, we stood on the lawn, and I just like, how beautiful is this? Why, I mean, look at the picture behind me. I stood there, I remember standing right where this picture is taken and saying, holy crap, I gotta go here, this is beautiful. This. It was, it was totally different from the urban experience, which, you know, when I went to college, I was 17. Okay. So when I was 17, I made that. So keep in mind, like I said, I was the first person to go to uh, college, let alone high, graduate high school. I had no guidance. I went to NYU because I thought it would be really cool to live in Greenwich Village. That was it. Right? That was the only reason <laughs> I made that decision. <laughs> You know, I, I yeah. can make them, you know, but no, you know, Mark, this is, this is, um, I'm curious cause I'm first generation college graduate from a U.S. college and from a U.S. high school. So, um, I don't know the current demographic off the top of my head at Darden, but, um, what would you advise? I've got to think there's some folks who are still first generation if Darden's doing their DE&I um, homework. Yeah. Um, no, what are. would you advise someone? Uh, well, I think they should not compare themselves, right? I think you've got to be singularly, you've got to really resist the temptation to compare. The only person you need to really compete with is the person you were yesterday. So, you know, you're on your own mission, you're on your own journey. Uh, and it's, I think that's a problem. And I think that's the problem with social media too, with our kids, with my kids, I, you see that it really facilitates comparison. And I think that's problematic, mm -hmm. right? You, uh, you know, that's a really, that's a really powerful statement, Mark. Yeah. That's a really great way to put it. The only person that you have to compete with is the person that you were yesterday. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that is, that's a fantastic quote. I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to reuse that. <laughs> <laughs> it's deal free. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sure I'm reusing. What else? Anything else? Uh, well, I mean, you got to own it, right? It's all on you. You're the only person, uh, you're in charge of your happiness, right? So I think that, uh, pick something, do something that is, that's going to make you happy, uh, don't underestimate the value of money. 
All right. A lot of people say, you know, do something you're passionate about. Uh, and I really agree with that's kind of bullshit. Okay. That, you know, at the end of the day, here's the New Yorker coming out, right? Look, yes, my, my, uh, my kid, my daughter, right? Uh, I'll give you, my daughter wants to, my daughter was a history and a film and TV major at Northwestern, right? She just graduated. Now, I don't want to squelch her passion. I don't want to dial it down but she said i really want she did she did four she went to school in chicago obviously she did like three or four years of uh improv at um second city so she really felt wow do that she wants to do comedy the writing she wants to do all that and i wanted to tell her not to do it right but how what do i know i don't know so it makes her happy let's try to do let's see if she's lucky to get a job well, fast forward, she actually was lucky to get a job. She's working for a TV show here, uh, and she's working with the head writer there. So, you know, but at the end of the day, she realizes she needs to make money, so she's also applied to, like, Goldman Sachs, okay, which is important, <laughs> okay? And that's all I wanted was that she that, that you, you don't under – at some point, if it's not working out, don't underestimate the value of that money because you can have passion and you can follow something – but it's really important, particularly for that, you know, uh, first generation person who might not come from any particularly uh, incredible inheritable wealth, right? That, you, you know, you need a foundation. You need a foundation that you can help build upon so that your family can build upon when you're gone. So I think, you know, that's the one thing I would say. It's easy to talk about the passion and that's great. And you could do that as a, you know, uh, you know as a, uh, uh, a side hustle or something else that's a hobby. Uh, but um, think about think about the long term. Start investing early, start saving early, have the end you know out there in mind. You know? So if you, if you can live on 80% of what you make for the rest of your life, you'll be okay. At the end of the day, you'll all be okay, but you know, and don't underestimate the importance of luck, right? Luck is everywhere. You can make your own luck, but I always ask people that question, particularly when I have visitors to my class. I'm going to ask you, Tom, <laughs> <laughs> what's the value of luck? But, uh, you know, luck's important. you got to make your own luck, but, you know, you got to put yourself in a position where you can be lucky and make those choices. But um, I see it throughout my life. I see people who are lucky. You know? mm-hmm. yep. Did you say you're teaching a class, Mark? I am, yeah. What? Uh, do tell. I'm teaching uh, – I'm teaching high-tech marketing, so it's really marketing for engineers at the uh, engineering school at the University of Illinois in Urbana. Oh, cool. And I started doing that in 2021 because uh, the shit was hitting the fan, and I needed something to do, and I was sitting around, in hunkered down, and I could do it remotely, so I did it. And it's great from a it's, – it's kind of a hobby, but I really like it, uh, and I like the students, uh, the graduate students, they were, you know, master's students in engineering, so we get – good discussions going. Um, I've got a small summer class. I usually have about 30 uh, students in the class. Um, and I was like, I'll give it a shot. I got asked to do it. It's not like I applied to do it. So obviously I knew somebody who felt comfortable enough to ask me to do it. Uh, so, uh, But it turns out I ended up uh, getting on uh, – 
I guess, I don't know, there are these surveys that they do at the end of the semester for the professors. So I get a text from the guy who runs the program, and he says, congratulations, you made it to the list. And then what list? They're the list of professors ranked as excellent by their students. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> no doubt. No, I, I totally doubted that. I don't, no. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I didn't You're do it. You're funny. You're oh, real. No. Well, no. you know, you know, Mark. That's well. First of all, congratulations, and that is that is a huge honor. And I, uh, I too have been teaching in in it, kind of as a side, um, second or third career, um, not my main job, but I've been teaching for for a number of years now. And I, my gold standard is are the teachers we had at Darden. Like yeah. I, I knew, I know what good teaching is, and while I'll never. I'll, I'll probably never get there. I mean, they were, they were generally the best at their craft. I know what good teaching is. And so every day I'm like my harshest critic because I want to be as good as the faculty we had at Darden. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, not everyone has that, has that benefit of having been in classrooms with great teachers. And, 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 when you do have that experience, you want to bring the same level of passion and expertise and, and, and just, uh, such a high standard that, that we, that we had. You yeah, know? no doubt. I a hundred percent agree. I think the other thing that I do is, and I got this from Darden and, and I think you don't agree is that, you know, the lesson never came from the front of the room. It came from everybody sitting next to you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And they were really good at getting it out of you. There were, few, there, there were, but that's where the less, the people around you were really important. So what did it do? It got you, you were educated by the people you were sitting with, which is really how it should be. It's how business works anyway. Uh, plus it got us closer. You can call me. I haven't spoken to some of you guys in a long time and uh, it's like yesterday, right? Right. It's because you really know these people, you're comfortable with these people and you've all been through it together. Uh, and that's what I want the students to get out of it. Uh, and you know, Someone asked me a question, and I'll say I'll turn it back off. So, like Joanna, so what do you think of what Bob said? You know, <laughs> nice. Yeah. It really is good. It so, really is Mark, good. Yeah, Mark. Um, you know, you you were talking about uh, you you sometimes wonder if if your direct approach is everyone's cup of tea. Um, uh, just looking at your resume, you've been uh, both on sort of the consulting, you know, advertising side and on the company principal side, operator side, you know, you know, tell us more about, you know, your choices and what you've learned from being on both sides of the, you know, that sort of uh, expert and consumer part of business. Uh, so my choices. Uh, so, I don't know if they were fantastic choices that I didn't make them, so uh, I'll own them. Uh, but so I, I ended up uh, going into accounting and consulting because everybody around me was doing that undergrad, right? So I had the accounting major. Why? My roommate was an uh, accounting major. I was like, okay, I'll do accounting. And like, you know, accounting is kind of boring. So I picked up the double major in computers because I kind of liked computers a lot, right? Uh, and I just did it because uh, my advisor said, hey, you've got an awful lot of computer classes on you. I go, well, yeah, what do I need for a major? And they go, well, you need one more class. I'm like, all right. So I went to summer school. I got one more class. So it was just fortunate 
But um, when I was getting out of Darden, everyone was going into investment banking and consulting. And I was like, I just bristled at it because not because I knew anything about anything. I just said, well, if everyone's doing that, everyone's going left, going right. I got to go left. Right. So it was all this dot com stuff that was happening. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. It was technical, technology driven, computer driven. Like, let me look there. So I ended up going into advertising uh, because I thought, who's at the perfect point to have a conversation with a client about what technology can do to their business and what the internet means to their business? So I went to work for Gray Advertising, you know, and I did that because it was interesting. As an aside, when I was at Anderson, my clients were advertising agencies. So I did advertising. My two my two buckets of clients were advertising agencies uh, and financial services firms like uh, uh, Solomon Brothers at the time uh, and a number of different brokerage firms. Uh, and uh, mm -hmm. so I had the financial competency as well as the interest on the ad side because I thought it was really, you know, when when uh, when Mad Men came out, right? That was kind of the vision of advertising agencies. So yeah. that's why, I mean, Tom, we spoke when I was at Gray. Right. Uh, yeah. And uh, I just thought it was interesting. So I thought that would be, and I was wrong. <laughs> it was interesting, but, you know, I was looking at everybody making money at the dot-com bubble, right? And I wasn't in the position to do that at Gray Advertising, right? I was driving a lot of revenue for Gray. I brought in Goldman Sachs with a salesperson. You know, they would knock on, that was actually one of the most formative experiences for me, was out of school, I work at Gray mm -hmm. Advertising, I, I get connected with the, sale, the saleswoman who I absolutely love, I still talk to her today. Uh, she's like, I can get us into Goldman Sachs to pitch their business. I'm like, okay, let's do it. I go in, they have an RFP, they end up paying us like 50 grand just to do the RFP, which is okay money just to pitch them. So they paid us to pitch them. Uh, I give it to the head of the group and the head of the group, says, I think this is good. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You're going to have to deliver the pitch. Meaning I now talk about presentation layer. I had none. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, that's, so that's, that's not true. Well, I, anyway, I get up. Uh, and I, it was like 8.30 in the morning, Goldman Sachs. It was me, the, pre, the, the head of the group, uh, the saleswoman. And she goes, you know, this is, we've already made it to the second range, round. So she said, this is a bake-off. And she came up with this idea. And I thought it was freaking brilliant. It's a bake-off. She goes, let's bring pastries. Let's bring something. So we brought these big trays of pastries. It was so it was excellent. Uh, they were so excited because it's 8.30 in the morning. They got to hear it from me. Like I, and, and they're just munching on muffins, you know? So, <laughs> um, and I, I spoke for 45 minutes about the RFP and what we would do. Uh, and, uh, and I remember the, they leaned over the table. So, but why should we hire you? So there's three reasons you should hire us. Execution, 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 total bullshit. I don't know. But, but anyway, they hired us from there. Wow. I got, I got Goldman Sachs. We got, um, Merrill, uh, Merrill Lynch, uh, Morgan Stanley, so I do work with them. So it's all financial services. Uh, so I learned a lot. It was interesting to me. I didn't make a boatload doing I made more than average. I did, did pretty well. But the only people who really did well were the heads of the groups. And so I left. I ended up leaving. But I left, you know, just in time for that bubble to pop. <laughs> so my so what so what did you do next, Mark? Uh, I ended up uh, going to uh, 
a company that was doing uh, dot com roll ups. So they were rolling up headcount. They were rolling up. They were, the whole idea was to roll it all up, spin it off, and go public, which I thought sounds good to me, right? And all of a sudden, the bubble burst, and they say, "Okay, we're abandoning it. That's it. You know, you go go get another job. I'm done." But I had clients that we were working on projects. They were working. It was a couple of million dollars in revenue, and I just back to the entrepreneurial uh, nature. I said, "Hold on." You're walking away from these clients, and they said yes. This it was insignificant for them, but you know to have a, I think to have I think about two or three million dollars in billings, right? I'm like, I I went to the team. I said I'm I set up an LLC. I said we're going to keep these projects going. I went to the clients, uh, and I said we're going to keep the same team. You're not going to notice a different thing. They're walking away from the project, which was really shitty for them to abandon the client. So for the next uh, two years, I, I did my own thing on a consulting basis, right? This is before at post.com when people started, they, they wanted to get through the projects. I wanted to put a, you know, put a good um, period at, at the end of that sentence there. And I wanted them to uh, complete the projects. And also it was revenue, it was money. So we didn't really have to look for another job. We had time. Uh, and I kept the group together, uh, which was... I couldn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't doing the work, but I was managing them to keep it together. So that was an interesting experience. Uh, it was stressful, but I did it. That's a great story. And then how did you wrap that up? So eventually, um, I think uh, we took a couple of the projects to completion. Uh, and one of the lingering projects was uh, a project we did for Deutsche, Deutsche Bank, right? Uh, and it was a big, big, big project, uh, and I had consultants there. Uh, and then 9/11 happened, right? So it was like one, two, bubble burst. 9/11 happens. Holy crap! You know, I just I couldn't take it. Uh, and I remember Deutsche Bank said to me, you know, uh, we are not going to continue the project, uh, but we want to hire the people, right? We want to hire the people you have on billing. I'm like, okay, well, pay me a fee, you know, because I had worked for a, a uh, between, after, after I worked at Anderson for a while, and after Anderson, I worked at a consulting company, and I knew that they would pay a fee, a placement fee. Uh, it was really a body shop, the consulting company would charge fees, but there was always a try and buy where they would pay for 25% or something, you know, 30%, whatever the negotiated fee was like, give me 25% um, on everybody you hire. And I'm like, well we really have a contract through the other company and we don't feel like we need to pay you that. And if I could be a little vulgar, what a doof. <laughs> I couldn't believe they said that. I was like, holy crap. And I said, well, and I said, I think what you're doing is really inappropriate. Uh, and I feel like it's a horrible way to do business. And on top of that, I have contracts with everybody that works for me so I could block them from working for you because they work for me. Uh, which I don't really want to do. Now I was, I went to the employees. I said, "Listen, guys, you gotta, you gotta bear with me because uh, I'm not going to stand in the way of them hiring you." I said, "But I got to get paid." So they said, "No problem." So they ultimately paid me to hire the team. But what a, what a crappy move! Holy. <laughs> no. and, and what did you do well, after that? What did you do after that deal? I got a job. <laughs> <laughs> I went and I got a job. So uh, one of my one of my best uh, one of the best pro technical people that I that ever worked that 
works for me, uh, and this is really how I hire to the day because of this guy. The guy was uh, incredible. I, he never graduated college, but he was a good person, uh, and he had the incredible capacity to learn, to figure it out. So you want to really just, you, you can sort people by technical skills, but when you really, you want to hire a person for who they are and their ability to learn. And this guy was the kind of guy that say, here's the challenge, here's the technical challenge. He goes, give me two days, I'll figure it out. Didn't have to know anything. So he said, what do I do? I don't have a job. You know, and he was going to be challenged to get a job because he didn't have a great seller resume. He had only worked with one job. He didn't have a great university on his, I said, don't worry about it. Um, I'll get you a job. So I called up my buddy who was in IT at real estate firm, real estate uh, investment firm. Uh, and I, and he, was, he was the best man at my wedding. So I knew him really well. <laughs> so I, was like, I was like, Steve, you got to hire this guy. And he goes, and he, I said, I'm telling you, this guy's going to be the best hire you ever make. Right. And I knew at that point I would never be able to work with him because I'd never hire him back. But, you know, he, he was a friend and he got me where I was going and he's still there. He's still there. So wow. He's for wow. a really long time, uh, and he's his number two guy. Uh, and, mm -hmm. You called uh, it. See? Yeah. I knew it, though. Natural organizational behavior <laughs> abilities. Mm -hmm. I love it. But that's it. You got to really hire people uh, for their ability to learn. Huh? So I ended, I ended up going to get a job to answer your question. Long way. Long way around answering the question. I ended up going, where did I go? Uh, I went to Citigroup. Yeah. So I what'd you to, do there? Uh, I worked in credit cards. Uh, I worked, I actually went to Citigroup because A, they offered me the job, but B, uh, I had spent a lot of time in marketing and I did a lot of brand marketing. Uh, and I did a lot of, and I really liked the direct response component of what we were doing, which is really the tie to the internet, uh, and technology, uh, really. So, there are, there are iconic brands and there's branding and spending a shitload of money on your media to build a brand. But there's more to it than that. There's more to building a brand. But for me, the easier conversation was the path of less resistance was direct response. Direct response was basically I would go and I'd say, give me a dollar. And in three months, I'm going to give you a dollar fifty. And these are the KPIs we're going to track to know that we're getting there. And this way, when you were missing targets, you can actually have a conversation with a client saying, this is what's going wrong and this is what we're going to do to fix it. So you really own that relationship for the long term. I liked those conversations. Direct response was everything. And I think, you know, Citigroup at the time had like 2% of GDP going through them, right, on the credit cards. So you had all that data. Uh, and I thought it would be interesting to learn more about that data, uh, the presentation of that data and understanding that data. Uh, so that's why I went to Citigroup. They single-handedly killed direct mail as a channel, I think. Oh, Citigroup? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The credit card companies in general? Yeah. Yeah, all that crap you get in the mail and throw it out. Right. Yeah, but I learned a lot. I mean, I think, you know, you got to really uh, uh, just to build those. I, I actually heard someone say this the other day, and I forgot who said it, but uh, it was really, you know, building iconic brands, right? So when you build an iconic brand, if – you look at Nike, uh, and Nike is an iconic brand. So if if Nike, oh look at Nike, it was Nike and Hilton, right? Nike. If you look at Nike, if they were going to open up a hotel, you know what that hotel's. You have a good feeling for what that hotel's going to be like, what that what they're going to deliver, what that promise is that they're going to deliver. If Hilton started a shoe company, meh, 
I don't know what it's going to, you know, what's the shoe going to be like? I don't know. That's the difference between iconic brands. So you really got to, you know, you know, I think you got to know your audience. You got to know who you're targeting, right? You got to know your purpose, what, you know, what, what you're serving, what problem, you know, solving. You got to do it consistently. Uh, you got to, you got to be different than everybody else in the marketplace. Uh, you got to really solve the problem, solve the problem today uh, and solve the problems that they might have down the road. So this way you're always willing to compete with yourself. Very easy to say, hard to do, uh, you know, and you got to tell good stories. You know, I think it's part of your marketing, part of anything you do, you know, and I think at the end, when you distill all that down, it really gives you a personality to the consumer. And it's that personality that, that is that iconic brand. So mm -hmm. That's, that's why I lean into uh direct response because all the other shit's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so we, uh, we don't have uh, we don't have too much more time because because Joanna's got a hard stop here in about less than ten minutes. Uh, I want to give you some time to talk about where you see your you know the final chapter of your career. You know the fourth the fourth quarter of your career. You mentioned the teaching. What uh, what do you see yourself doing for the next ten years? Wow, you know either I've talked to a lot of friends. Uh, they, a lot of people looking at retiring, thinking about retiring. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I mean, who doesn't want to travel? Uh, Clanky, you're a traveler. You love to tra travel. Uh, I, I love to travel, uh, but I don't think I want to stop working. Right? I really kind of enjoy working. Uh, so the teaching is good because it keeps me busy, uh, and I like it. I like that interaction. The intellectual stimulation is good, uh, but you know. There's a lot of cool shit happening, and I want to be a part of it. Uh, now, the realization is, the hard realization is that you age out of the workforce. So either you mm. make it yourself uh, or you do something incredibly compelling where they just can't say no. But, you know, back in 2012, when I uh, was taking my son around to colleges, to look at colleges when he was in high school, uh, we went to Carnegie Mellon and met a professor there, and he was talking about Bitcoin and blockchain. And I was like, this is interesting shit. Let me buy some of this Bitcoin, right? So back to, to you really smart or you're really lucky? Well, I was really lucky. You know, I just bought a little. So I'm less lucky today than I was a few years ago, a few, you know, a year ago, maybe. Months ago. Yeah. Yeah, weeks ago, yeah, right. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's not going to go away, and I'm fine with it. Because, you know, uh, I, think that, I think that there's something really interesting about crypto uh, and DeFi. Uh, and as I said, I've always been attracted to the finance uh, area of business, uh, and it's really compelling. So I just like to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on in the market. I think that's one thing that's really interesting to me is uh, the crypto markets and DeFi uh, is really interesting. And I just don't want to go off into the sunset. So I just think that, you know, yeah, I'll travel. I'll go away. Maybe I could, you know, teach you let you go. If you got a good book in you, which I don't think I have, teaching's wonderful. Uh, but uh, you know, I, and it also gives you room to travel. But I think that um, I'm still looking at opportunities, and particularly now with what happens, what's happening in the in the crypto space, there's more opportunity now than there was ever because it's back to where it was. You know, you know, I'm, I'm well. I, it's it's it, in some ways there's there there are some parallels to to the dot com you know, bubble, because I mean, 
maybe 80, 90% of the companies went away, but there was a lot of good stuff that was still there. And, right. and, and it's, maybe- it was transformational. I mean, yeah, it really yeah. did transform so much and um, created even a different way people worked, the way we interacted right. with technology. I mean, it yeah. was very transformative. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, during the first, during the first, you know, wave the, you know, the late nineties, you know, it was essentially just, you know, why great, why being a great was, was a good place to see because it really was just sort of print, you know, the, you know, the internet was like, we're going to take all this stuff that's on print and on paper uh, for consumption of, of static media. And we're just going to do it on web pages. And, you know, the traffic that's on the web now today is, you know, probably you know that that portion is a is a small percentage so uh, i think the, the what's going to happen with uh with the crypto and blockchain technology is you know likely to be the same in that you know where it is in 10 or 15 years you know what we're doing today will, will be a small percentage of of, of it going forward yeah uh, i i you know i think you know it's important to draw those parallels just as you did to, to the dot com right um there's I think what is it? It was pets.com blew up, but right. now you've got Chewy, right? Yep. Yep. It was just what ten years too early, right? Right. Uh, and then the last mile, when I think in New York we had Cosmo and we had Urban Fetch, right? right. I can't tell you how many people you have. You have uh, Getter. You've got uh, Gorilla. They're all doing the last mm -hmm. mile. You know, honestly, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to win because I think I don't know how you compete with Amazon on the last mile. They own it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's it's very draw those parallels. That's the lesson learned. I feel like I'm in a. I know I don't know everything. I'm in a better position to make some choices around a basket of options. I think, but I think other than that, you know, who the hell knows? Well, Mark, this has been an absolute pleasure. It's great, yeah, great, great, great to see you and uh, and catch up with you and hear what you've been up to and some of the things that you've learned along the way. And um, it was it was a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you guys. I, I 